with, what he, what he saw in them, what he said to them and the significance for us today. So we're going to continue on in that journey this morning. Looking at, in particular, John chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we are so thankful that we have the freedom to open it here in this gathering uh, or in our homes or in our uh, uh, private lives. We can open your word and you speak to our hearts and minds and that's what we long for today. We've prayed for that already, that your spirit will touch on something that we're uh, grappling with or we're struggling with or excited about and that you'll just uh, confirm things to us through your word today. Prepare us through your word today, we pray. We do pray for those that can't be here uh, amongst our gathering and to enjoy this fellowship uh, through holidays that have happened or on, that are happening, through uh, uh, illnesses, which means they can't be here with us, Lord, or through work. Uh, we thank you for the commitment those people have. And we pray, Lord, that, that they will know without a doubt that you are with them in whatever situation they face today and that you are strengthening them and, and preparing them for what lies ahead you are healing them according to your will and you are encouraging them and, and keeping them safe as they travel and, uh, and helping them enjoy fellowship along the way. So Father, we are so glad we can be here today and we ask that you will speak to our hearts and minds uh, specifically this morning from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so far... Um, the situation that the disciples found themselves in with Jesus was that it's the last week, John chapter 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, it's the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, he's uh, preparing for the cross. The disciples don't fully understand uh, what's happening. Uh, back in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go from here and go into Jerusalem. At that time they were in the upper room of the house and then they'd move to the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're on their way to Jerusalem. J.B. Phillips, one of the commentators from the past, he explained what this, these words implied, this let us go from here. He says it's, it's a, a saying of hurry up, you know, let's be quick about it, let's get going, is what he's saying. Jesus got up from his feet and off he went. He, he saw that there was a time for action coming and he had to go. I'm not sure that he was happy about it, but he went willingly. So J.B. Phillips says that here they were, they were on their way to Jerusalem and he was talking to them as they went. He was talking to them as his fellow journeymen. He was talking to them as the ones that he would leave behind to continue his work on. And so he says in in chapter 16, verses 1 to 7, he talks about uh, preparing them, that they would face some suffering, but they would also have some support from God's uh, advocate or comforter, the Holy Spirit. And uh, why don't we read this together as it's up on the screen. Join with me as you read John chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. Let's read it together. Verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a sacrifice to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, 
You are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, Seven shortish verses, but powerful preparation for the disciples and some real promises for us contained in these verses as well. Now, here's the uh, object lesson for today. Who has a mobile phone with them? Some of you have a mobile phone with them? Yeah, yeah. I'm not proud, but I actually have two. Uh, one's the SES one. You can see it's the orange coloured one. And this is my personal one. Now, I don't know about you, but what's your reaction when you hear the, the ding or my text message is the motorcycle revving? <laughs> Cheryl loves that one at 12 o'clock at night. What's your reaction when you get a text message? Who says, I'll look at that in a couple of hours? Anybody? Anybody say that? Or perhaps you don't have your phone with you all day, so you only get to look at it at the end of the day. Lucky you. Um, who looks at the, Who can't help themselves? When the message dings, or whatever it does, um, you just got to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and um, I, I, I heard someone had a phone, I think it might have been an SES one night, and this message went off, and there's this voice yells out, there's a message for you! <laughs> you couldn't help but understand what it was. I was amazed. I thought about it this week, and I tried to control myself. Uh, whenever it dinged or, or motorcycle revved, actually I think it's supposed to be a V8 actually, um, it wasn't within a minute. I had to see what it was. There's a reason for that for me, especially with the SES phone. It could be a important message. You know, There could be a, uh, a person needed searching for or a roof needing uh, tarp or something like that. So that's the urgency for there. But not so much on my private one. Yeah. Often, often it's uh, people want to t- wanting to tell me their latest news. At half past four in the morning, I don't want to know your latest news uh, unless it's something serious and, and there's uh, a need for concern. But, but most of the time, I read it because I'm concerned that there's an important message for me on that phone. Sadly, in our world today, the messages are not always important. Sometimes they're abusive, aren't they? And we've seen results of uh, abusive, bullying-type messages, messages uh, in people's lives where there's grief, there's anxiety, there's pain and there's suffering. The reason why I mention text messages, most of us think that they're important. Some people actually think that they're true and, and, and believe a lot of the spam messages that are coming out and the and, and, the, and the fake news that's coming out on text messages. And that's sad when people will place their trust in a text message rather than placing their trust in the Word of God. I've looked at some interesting statistics. If you own a mobile phone today, you are one of 32 million mobile phone connections in Australia. That's a lot of people. There's not even that many people. So some of them must have two or three phones. Who would that be? I don't know. 96% of Australians use their mobile phones for texting. 
sending texts and receiving texts. And Australians spend an average of 35 minutes per day sending text messages. Where do these statistics come from? I'm sure I don't spend that much time on my phone sending text messages. Like I said, we think that it's important. But what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples and what we read in the scriptures is way more important than sending or receiving a text message. Do we treat it the same way? Do we, wouldn't it be great if, 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 this, if this Bible beeped every time I needed to know something? Uh-huh. Wouldn't it be great if I was concerned about someone and I didn't know how to pray for them, but the Bible beeped and said, you know, pray this verse. But it doesn't, does it? I'm sure somebody will design a program one day where it will, but it doesn't. The responsibility is for us to know it and to study it and to understand it so that then God will bring it to our minds and we'll be able to pray using God's word. So my suggestion, I'm yet to try this, you know, I make suggestions but I'm yet to try it myself. Every time I receive a text message, why don't I go and open up God's word and see if there's an answer in it for me about that text message. Haven't tried it yet but I'm thinking about it. Okay, Jesus, Jesus, he gave us the words that are in this Bible, didn't he? He gave us the words. And so they're important from him to his disciples, to us today. What did he have to say to those disciples that was so important in this chapter 16, verses 1 to 7? He said, suffering will come our way. Suffering will come out. Nobody likes to hear that. Nobody likes to suffer. Certainly he's saying to the uh, disciples of the day, if you know me, if you love me, if you follow me, you will suffer because of me. That hasn't stopped over the years. If you know Jesus, if you love him, if you follow him, suffering is still a part of our life today. We looked at that last week actually in John chapter 15 uh, where Jesus... And, and there's a reason for, for Jesus saying it again in John chapter 16, which I'll mention in a moment. But this is what he said in last week that we looked at. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus was very clear to his disciples. And now he's reaffirming that, he's, he's, he's repeating it, and that was certainly very much a Jewish teaching style that you reinforce, you don't, you don't repeat, 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 you reinforce, 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 there's a difference. Repeating is, is learning something like a parrot. Reinforcing is helping you to understand more and more. So here Jesus is preparing these disciples. He's preparing us whenever we read these scriptures that we might reinforce the knowledge that not everybody in this world is going to like us because we follow Jesus. Some of us may have experienced that firsthand in difficult ways more than others did. So he says in verses 1 to 4, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. So there's a purpose in reinforcing the truth. There's a purpose. They will put you out of the synagogue and for a Jew, that was the worst thing that could happen. They'll put you out of the synagogue. 
In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. How soon did that happen after this passage? How soon in the history of the church did that happen? Anybody got an answer for that? The Apostle Paul. What was he doing? He was rounding up Christians, followers of the way, putting him in prison where ultimately they would get killed. So it wasn't long past when Jesus was saying this that that started to happen in the world of the, in, the, in that day. Verse uh, 3 says, They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Verse 4, I have told you this so that when their time comes you will remember that I warned you about them. In other words, he's saying, don't be surprised, it's going to happen. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. So there was this sense of security that Jesus was there, but when he was gone, then they were more open to this persecution. He was telling these things to his disciples because he cared about them in this crucial time coming up to the cross. So verse 1, what did Jesus say? All this I have told you is that you will not fall away. None of us like suffering and some of us think that when suffering comes, it's just too hard, I'm going to find the easy way out. That's what his concern was for the disciples. The suffering came to them, they wouldn't, they wouldn't persist, they wouldn't endure they would find the easy way out. Sadly, he didn't want it to be a stumbling block. He didn't want suffering to be a stumbling block for their faith. He wanted them to be sure that he was with them in the middle, even in the middle of that, that suffering. He didn't want them to get tripped up. Sadly, many people today have got the wrong impression of Christianity. They think that it's going to be smooth sailing, that all the promises God made won't, won't be difficult along the way. And that through Christianity there's going to be an uninterrupted journey of uh, peace, health, wealth and prosperity. Anybody been on that track? Hasn't happened in my life. There's been tough times and uh, thankfully God was there through those difficult times. And we're all going to face difficult times. The promise is that God will be with us during those times. I wonder if we look away from Jesus when the going gets tough. Certainly it was uh, something that the disciples faced. You you might remember this story out of Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus, uh, verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone. Then what happened? And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Did you get that? They'd been battling these waves all night. And then Jesus walks on the water to them. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And what did he do? Come, he said. Then Peter got out, down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. It wasn't suffering so much, but he did take his eyes off Jesus. He started to look at the things around about him. The situ- what we might do in looking at our situations that we face, whether it be health or finance or family or relationships or work, 
We look at those rather than looking at Jesus first and seeing him in the midst of those things that are happening. The disciples had to learn a lesson. We have to learn lessons. In verse 2, Jesus said to them, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Does that happen today? Yes, it does. Today in the world, there are radical people who are against Christians. In the days of Jesus and and following, we saw that there were radical Jews in the synagogues that would search out people of the way, followers of Jesus, and put them in prison to die. Today, around our world, the danger doesn't come from radical Jews as such. It comes from radical Hindus, radical Muslims, radical communists. Certainly in dictatorships like North Korea and China, Christians are being killed today. They're being imprisoned and killed. I read this story about uh, uh, communist China in November 2017. Does anybody get the uh, Voice of the Martyrs book? Okay, There are some. There's some incredibly sad but challenging stories of faith of believers in those pages. Chinese officials were in a rural area of Jiangxi province and they had revealed a plan to melt the hard ice, they said, in the hearts of Christians towards communism. So they were going to try and get Christians to look favourably at communism, yet many of the Christians were against it. How were they going to melt those poor Christian hearts towards Christianity or towards communism? By denying them essential poverty relief packages, the story says. If they do not replace their images of Jesus with images of the president of China or the chairman of China. So they would would miss out on those uh, packages of help and support if they still kept a picture of Jesus up on the wall in the house. One official stated that the move was necessary because Christians are ignorant and need to be taught to worship the state, not God. So it's happening in our world today, 2017. And then they reported that um, there were, out of 600 residents, sorry, that 600 residents in that province had replaced those images of Jesus and there were 453 new photos of President Z hanging on their living room walls. They needed those poverty passages, uh, packages but others resisted and they, they suffered the consequences. Sadly, um, another organisation, Open Doors, uh, tells us that in 2019 there were 360 million Christians living in places where they experienced high levels of persecution. 360 million brothers and sisters in Christ living in places where they experienced high levels of persecution. They will hate you, they will kill you if you love me, is what Jesus warned his disciples about. And it's happening today. 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. This is 2019. Nearly 5,000 believers were detained and arrested, sentenced or imprisoned because of their faith. Today, today, 11 Christians are killed for their beliefs every day in our world. 
we live in a fairly safe place, don't we? But we also live in a place where people are complacent about faith. And I wonder if we would be more uh, concrete, more active about our faith if we were in those places where we were persecuted. Someone has um, used this term. You might have seen it. Christianophobia. Anybody heard of that? Christianophobia. It's happening in our world today in many places, just as I've mentioned. What's it mean? An irrational animosity or hatred of Christians or Christianity in general is also used to describe the phenomenon of discrimination and intolerance against Christians. Jesus' words, not necessarily prophetic, but they are coming true even today. For those people who name the name of Christ. Christian means one who follows or one who belongs to Christ. There are people here in Australia that would shut down churches or outlaw Christianity if it was legally possible. Others in other places are determined to do far worse. Will it happen in Australia? I think there's already persecution against Australia, uh, Christians in Australia. I read not long ago, from, th- from time to time, parents in Australia's family court are denied access to their children because they parent in a Christian fashion. That's a legal body in Australia. Christian kids at school are bullied so badly, some are driven to suicide because they are Christians. And we know Christians, you probably, you probably know Christians locally, Christian workers who have lost long-standing jobs and businesses because they're Christians. Those comments were written by a fellow called Simon Tonkin in 2022 on a web page that he writes regularly in. By the grace of God, in Australia, we enjoy a partially sheltered, God-given freedom that we need to uh, praise God for and that many people around our world will never know. There are still millions of good, godly people in our society. Christian life will always have a measure of trouble in this world. So Jesus was preparing his disciples, preparing us, that you will face suffering. He goes on, he says, to them, the Saviour is going away. They didn't fully understand what was going to happen. We look in hindsight to see what's happened and we remember that today in the Lord's Supper. Jesus spoke about the fact that he was going to go away. Verses 4 to 6 tell us this. I've told you this so that when their time comes, that's those who are going to persecute, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. Why were they sad? They were sad because the one they believed was the Messiah, the Christ, who was going to free them from the oppression of the Romans and and those around about them, was saying he's going away. They didn't understand this. But Jesus reminds us that he tells us the right thing at the right time. If he had told the disciples this uh, one year into their journey together or two years into their journey together, they really wouldn't have remembered it. Probably wouldn't have still understood it. But in this last week, this last week of his life amongst them until after the resurrection, he was telling them again at the right time. We have to remember that God will tell us things worth holding on to, 
worth listening to at the right time. How does he do that? Through his word. If we're seeking him daily, he will tell us things that we can remember for the rest of our lives. And he tells us things that are guaranteed to help us in our daily walk, help us in our walk of faith, help us in our whole life, even during those tough storms of life. The second thing is that he does the right thing at the right time. So Jesus knew that the time was now for him to leave his disciples, go to the cross, go to be with the Father. He was doing what the Father wanted him to do. Verse 5 in that passage says, I am now going to him that sent me. So he's doing the Father's will. Some of us may remember a song, I think it was Frank Sinatra that recorded it, I did it my way. Well, Jesus didn't do it his way. He did it the Father's way. And that's what he was saying to him. I'm doing what God's telling me to do. You need to as well. Do the right thing at the right time. He always does the right thing at the right time, even when we don't understand what he's doing. The disciples didn't understand what he was doing. But he's doing the right thing. And I think that's one of the main reasons why they were grieving, why sorrow filled their heart. They didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't understand what was going to happen. But he didn't leave them there. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to tell them that there was somebody, he was going to send somebody, someone, to be with them. He's going to send the Spirit their way and we know he sends the Spirit our way. God sends his Spirit to us for a real purpose. And he says in verse 7, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, other translations use comforter, counsellor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Not sure if you're aware of this, but this is the fourth time in John's Gospel that he mentions that he's going to send the comforter, the counsellor, the advocate. In uh, chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That's the first time. Chapter 14, verse 15 to 18. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So this comfort of this counsellor. John 14, 25, 26, verse 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the comfort of the counsellor, the Advocate, is going to be with us in the place of Jesus to remind us all about Jesus and what he said and done. The third time, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And then in this verse, in verse 7, he says it again there. Four times. It's it's like a fourfold promise. Jesus has said it, it's going to happen, and did it? Yes, it did. We know at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. I wonder... If Jesus says something a lot of times when we're reading through the Gospels or even the same Gospel, do we take it as a promise? We should. We should take it as the truth and it will happen and we can trust God in that. The promise has been fulfilled. Jesus did go away. Sadly, he left his disciples. But yes, gladly, 
He sent the Holy Spirit to us as our counsellor, as our guide, as our advocate. Paul wrote a similar thing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He said, We have Christ in us who is the hope of glory and he will see us through the worst of our suffering in our lives, even if persecution comes our way because the Holy Spirit is with us. So what do we take home from today? We take home this important message from the Master, this message of preparation for the disciples, but for us too, that suffering is inevitable. How we deal with it, we trust the Spirit that's been given to us. Suffering will come our way. The Saviour has gone away, but he's with us by the Spirit being with us. I trust that that this week, whatever we face, that whether it's... um, Difficult times or exciting times, we will know the presence of God during that time. We'll be able to say, thank you, God, for seeing me through this time. Let's pray right now. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's uh, uh, relevant for us today. It's true for us today. It's practical for us today. We thank you that the Lord Jesus knew what we were going to face in our world. Uh, Because not everybody's supportive of Christians. Not everybody believes in the Lord Jesus. So Father, we pray that we'll take comfort, we'll take encouragement from this passage, we'll be able to uh, remember that your spirit is with us moment by moment, uh, comforting, strengthening, guiding, empowering us for every moment of every day. So we don't have to do things on our own or alone. We, are, we have your spirit with us and he will remind us of everything that you've said that we might live lives according to your will. So do that for us this week, we pray, Lord. Help us in the midst of those situations that we face ourselves, that we face during this week, to stop for a moment and think about what would Jesus do? What do you want us to do, Lord? Father, we want to be people who are known as followers of Jesus and not be afraid of that, not be fearful about it, but be uh, assured that we are doing what you want us to do. So we say thank you. Thank you for your word again today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pat.